still perform at like you know the top of my game even yeah, though yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like an audience totally. that like isn't gonna be into my work because man have I performed for more like performers than there are audience members wow no 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 yeah it's another one yeah girls them summer song yeah Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Idea Lemon Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast, the show where we tackle life's important questions to help multi-passionate people like you and I uncover who we are and just how we present ourselves to the world around us. I'm your co-host, Rajiv Nathan, alongside Martin McGovern, and in this episode, we sat down with two nationally recognized poets from the Portland, Oregon area, Clementine Von Radix and Alex Dang. I happened to meet Clementine and Alex at an open mic night in Chicago just two nights prior to us recording this episode. They were traveling through the city as part of a national poetry roadshow, and they were the featured guests at this open mic. I heard them get on stage and do their poems, and I was so moved by the poems that they spoke that I said to myself, we have got to get them on our show. A couple minutes later, when they were done, I talked to them and... Before we knew it, we were sitting down having an awesome conversation for the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. You'll see, based on their poetry, why we chose this specific question for the show, but we'll get right into it. In this episode, we all sit down and talk about the question, how do you deal with perception versus reality? Let's have a listen in. Which is awesome, though, that we were able to get you guys here, mm-hmm. and I think what's cool is the fact that I just decided, like, on Sunday, hey, I want to go back to the gala on Monday. <laughs> and then I ended up meeting you guys, and now we're doing this here. So, I think. so explain what the gala is. The gala is an awesome open mic night in Chicago uh, featuring poets, rappers, musicians of all types just getting up on the microphone in front of a stage, or on a stage in front of people who just appreciate performance and the art of pursuing creativity it's pretty i mean you guys were there yeah it's a very warm and welcoming environment and just you kind of have those you get those like warm fuzzies yeah from from being up there and being part of that that crowd so did you guys know each other back in portland did alex and i yeah yeah alex and i are actually uh we've been dating for a year and a half um and we're both we met in the portland poetry scene um, we were both already really involved in poetry, um, and uh, this is my second tour, uh, second like national tour, and um, third overall tour. Third or third overall tour. I also did a tour in Europe this fall, um, and it just kind of made sense to to go together. There was no one else I wanted to be in a car with for three months. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, it's both both a both a test of our professionalism and relationship <laughs> yeah. test just to see where we land on that. But yeah, uh, yeah Clementine uh, back in Portland runs a uh, a small d- uh, DIY press called Where You Press. It focuses mainly on like uh, poets of uh, poets of color and uh, women voices. And I'm also one of the poets on that press. And originally, I was working for Clementine as a director of shipping. We were working over the summer trying to expand the press. And eventually, uh, we um, and yeah, eventually we just started expanding. We're trying to add more and more poets. Uh, we have a very strong online presence, mm-hmm. and uh, this tour is kind of also trying to cement us into like the real world. So yeah, or into spoken word because uh, kind of page poetry and spoken word are surprisingly different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I mean, they uh, it's interesting actually because Alex is 
has this viral video and is very much well known as like a spoken word performer, whereas um, I'm more of a, a page poet, and my career started with poetry that I would post online. And it's pretty amazing that, you know, you don't think of that many professional writers, but there's so there's uh, a very little overlap between people that have heard of me and people that have heard of Alex. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always like us at shows, and there'll be like someone specifically for like Clementine, just like talking to Clementine, and then someone specifically coming to me and just yeah. like only talking to me. It's a, it's strange, but that's kind of how we plan the tour because uh, in in the world of poetry, I guess you could divide it into like the school of page poetry, the school of like performance poetry, and we kind of fit both of those molds so we can right. combine our yeah. audiences together. Totally. So today's question is: How do you deal with? perception versus reality right specifically i thought this question worked really well for having you guys on the show because of the poems you you orated is that what you would say you performed sorry the poems you performed at the gala Mm -hmm. earlier this week and what really i think um what i guess would say moved me uh, first, Alex, in yours was the, the poem about what kind of Asian are you? So he said to me, what kind of Asian are you? And I said back, well, that's a loaded question. What kind of Asian do you expect me to be? Because anyway, you slice that egg roll, I'm still pretty much whatever you want to see. I played many a Far East stereotype. Awkward math genius, cold and calculated kung fu expert, assistant to Dr. Jones, you crazy. You want me to drive? How so? I can give you Tokyo Drift, Jeremy Lin, Mario Kart, Tiger Woods, and Blinker left on for about half a mile. I am the foremost expert on all things Asian. The Meiji era and the ban of the samurai, done. Confucianism versus Taoism, I'll give it to you with no slant. What's the difference between Asian stereotype one and two? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you anything you want to know about my culture. Let me tell you in a Mulan-esque soliloquy of me staring in the mirror asking, who is that girl that I see? Let me tell you about Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and how they're related by blood to me. Let me tell you about being so marginalized, it's to the point of I really can't believe that's Asian. Let me tell you about derogatory terms and origins of words such as chink and gook. Let me tell you about the struggle of Asian parents not knowing the language, so we ate pet food because it was cheaper. Let me tell you about the job of interpreter. When you're still playing with Lego blocks, but your English is already that much better than your guardians. Let me tell you about honor and dignity. Let me tell you about a society that projects us as nothing but the secondary role and never the leading man. Let me tell you all the things you don't want to know. Like how chink comes from the clanking of metal to railroad as the slaves built train tracks for this country to be connected. Like how the zipper head down the street is called that because of the way our heads split open when struck with assault weapons. Or how jeeps ran over and left marks across corpses and someone clever thought that we were only good to unzip. Like how every time you lump an Asian person into one culture, it's systematically making us assimilate into an America we thought was better than our war-torn home. And every time you confuse me with some other nationality that I might share similar features to is stripping away my individuality and I still feel the shame of being Asian, the heat and pious dedication of June 11th, 1963, the envy of blonde hair and blue eyes and I still remember thinking where all the boys who looked like me on TV were, the broken words from my mother and father stage diving off of my tongue, the anger I felt when when those kids thought I would get them sick and I still feel the ash of the incense burn my 
hands when I prayed for my family. And I still remember thinking my skin was what I was worth. And I still feel the ironwork of my bones grow stronger with every train of thought that passes by. And I still feel pride. And I still feel heritage. And I still feel Chinese. And I still feel Vietnamese. And I still feel American. And I still feel... Indian and brown myself. I think, uh, not, while not having faced the same you know, scenarios as you, I've faced similar things in right. the sense of um, people assuming one thing about me because I'm a certain skin color, I'm a right. certain type, you know, like the, like, oh, hey, dude, where's a dot on your forehead? Like that kind of yeah. thing. And that's, you know, like the perception or like that we're all like these penguins who are just like, duck, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I always laugh at is when people are trying to like play back to me their interaction with say like an Indian person mm-hmm. and they'll try and do an accent and it's like I know what we sound like. It's like don't worry, like I grew up with it. Like you don't have to replay that. Yeah. You can just tell me what they said. And also it's like, why are you replaying this be like the one the one thing like what like people asking, like, you know, what ethnicity I am, like, what kind of Asian I am, like, that's fine, but also, what do you gain from that? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm Chinese and Vietnamese. Now what? Are you going to speak Chinese and Vietnamese <laughs> to me? I don't speak Chinese and Vietnamese that well. And it's like, is that really going to add that much to the conversation? Like, you know, you know, if I'm getting to know someone, or it's like, some, or they, I mentioned something about my heritage, like, obviously, that's like a natural segue. But it's like, oh, well, what is, like, where are you, like, if you don't mind me asking. But, like, right off the bat, where it's like, okay, well, now what does this do for you? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what is the purpose? Wait, 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 wait. I've seen a lot of movies, and I was pretty sure just everyone in every other country in the world has a British accent. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, too. That's what I mean. Regardless of time, of, like, <laughs> right. or, you know, like, 1200s to 2000s, everyone's British. And they're all Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. All Tom Cruise, all Tom Cruise. No, it was so funny because uh, so we've been traveling and we were at the Grand Canyon. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> this is so good, right? Uh, and uh, we pull up to the Grand Canyon and the lady at the Grand Canyon is like, oh, well, it's like, oh, where are you guys from? So I'm like, oh, we're from Portland, Oregon. And then she goes, no, but where are you really from? Or where are your parents from? Yeah. And like, I go, well, my parents were originally, well, like, came here from Virginia, and she kept, like, looking at me like, and I'm like, but they're from <laughs> Vietnam. And she's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. And I was like, and then she's like, I have all these programs like in Chinese and Vietnamese and different languages. Would you like them to like to take home to your parents? Which is weird. And also because I've been speaking in half a minute in what I hope is like unaccented, not broken English. But she was still just like really just like, oh, are you sure you don't want this like in a different language yeah. to bring home to your parents? And it was so it was like a really weird I, I I always find humor in all these like interactions because it's just easier for me to deal. Yeah. Like, just by pointing fun of just like oh like that's just kind of a weird funny thing that happens. Yeah. No, and I do the same thing too. I just try to find the irony of the situation or the humor in the situation. But I wonder if is that a defense mechanism or we yeah. don't just deflect actually, um, actually dealing with what's happening. Mm. In a way, I think it is. I do think there are instances where it's just funny. 
Yeah. But there are I other I think times. she just had a flyer quota. She, like, had to get <laughs> no, I know. That's flyers. exactly what we thought, too. Because also, like, right, like, when we got there, there's, like, a, literally a tour bus of, like, Korean, like, uh, tourists. And, like, there's a bunch of, like, Japanese people and yeah. a bunch of Chinese people there. And, like, I saw, I heard people, like, speaking Russian. So they probably just have, like, stacks of different languages. And she's just, yeah. She was just really jazzed <laughs> about trying to hand out those flyers. And she's like, one of these days, someone's going to be speaking Swahili. And yeah. I finally got it. Like, yeah. I'll blow the dust off of it. And give that's it her them. entire entertainment for the day. <laughs> yeah. She's seen so much Grand Canyon, it's no longer impressive. Now it's just goal. Canyon. It's all about the flyers. To guess accents and give out the right flyer, yeah. <laughs> That'd be really impressive. She's like, you are from Oregon. Like, you don't have an accent. I can tell. It's just like, oh, you're from Illinois. We have the perfect flyer for people from Oregon. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. There's a lot of rain on it. There's some ponchos. What, um, what, I've found, what I think is interesting is, in my own experiences, so domestically in the U.S., Someone asks, oh, what are you? I say, okay, I'm Indian. When I travel abroad and someone asks me what, you know, what nationality are you, I say I'm American. Mm-hmm. Do, you ever, do, you, do you ever feel that, Alex? Yeah, I mean, uh, luckily, uh, I had, I've only traveled outside of the country once, and I was in eighth grade. It was on my class, it was on a class trips because uh, since kindergarten, I was taking Chinese uh, in school. So in eighth grade, we had a big class trip where we went to China. And it was really great. It was a really fun experience. But uh, luckily, my Chinese was good enough that people just kind of thought I was Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really run into that too much. But uh, man, where ev- was everyone staring at my principal who was just like a normal black dude? Yeah. <laughs> but they were just like, oh my God, we've never seen like a black guy before. And it was, it was weird just like being so normal. Yeah. Being so part of like, okay, no one's like even going to give me a second glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I th- and maybe as you get more abroad experience in your life, start to notice like, what do you identify with? Because yeah. I think it's interesting that in my home country of America, I am considered and consider myself as something, as, as Indian. But when I go outside of America, I consider myself as American. And I don't know why that gap exists, but maybe it's because once you're in America, it's already like, that layer is like, okay, we know everyone here is American. Now you've got to divide yourself from that point versus once you're anywhere else, it's like, we need to first get the continent right before we can do anything else. I think you're always hyper aware of what marginalizes you, like in whatever mm-hmm. community you are, like the, if it's whatever it is that you're, makes you different from the majority of people around you, just hyper aware of and people kind of point out, even as just a point to connect with you, whether that's sometimes done in really rude ways or sometimes done as, a, as an attempt to connect. But yeah. Yeah, you're always very aware of what makes you different. Yeah, yeah, like you were just in Europe too, and like you yeah. definitely like you you talk about like you notice like the differences of being even though like you know everyone in Europe is like kind of white, like you're yeah. still very much just like an American and also like a Jewish person in Europe. Yeah, that I felt most Jewish when I was in Europe. <laughs> I felt most aware of that. Um, in Europe, it was really interesting. The most the thing I thought about most was because I'm a writer, and so I spend so much time trying to figure out trying to learn, like, exactly how to communicate things in the most detail. Um, and that's usually, like, learning a ton in, of, mm-hmm. of English and, and kind of mastering a language. But when uh, I was in Switzerland and I don't speak Swiss German, um, trying to figure out how to communicate um, in the least words possible, uh, it was just a completely different uh, approach to, like, uh, getting other people to understand you. Right. It was, that was the thing that was so 
that I most thought about when I was in Europe. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. <clears throat> Probably misquoted Mark Twain quote mm-hmm. of, I would have written you a shorter letter, I just didn't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Man, Mark, that's the, like the third time Mark Twain's come up on our tour. Yeah, like we're, we were, so we were uh, just in misery. Yeah, so like. and then we were also like trying to plan out like a uh, a workshop, and then uh, we were like basing it off that uh, Mark Twain quote, like the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like yeah. because obviously like you know we're we're both poets, we're both writers, so we like like to use a lot of we like to use language and think about like the the choices of words that we actually use mm-hmm. and uh, that obviously is reflected in our performances and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one maybe it was the Freakonomics podcast or something like that, but a few months back I remember there was some episode or something I read about the idea of labels mm-hmm. and there are instances where labels are put on you, but then there's this I can't remember the term they use, but let's call it just for the sake of this conversation like double labeling which is the fact that you become associated with a label to the point that you assume that personality in other situations that you go into or before you even walk back into that situation yeah you assume that personality so like if you are say so like for me i am not a handyman at all like i suck with tools I Why are you wearing a vest? <laughs> you should not be. <laughs> um, and like whenever I'm like hanging pictures on a wall, even like I always at first I you know I hammer the nails in the wall and then it's like crooked and I'm like God damn it! Yeah. Or if I'm trying to line up three in a row, like yeah. one is higher than the other. And amongst my roommates, I've become like the like Raj fixes stuff is the is like the running joke we have mm-hmm. where it's like. I can't fix anything, right? right. Mm-hmm. But then I think it even, I have noticed it extends to the point where I don't even try. Or right. like if there are other people, if my roommates are around and can fix it, I just default to, oh, they can do it for me because I'm the guy who doesn't know how to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. You kind of play into the joke as well, into like the rules. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that level, like it's almost like a level of like dual consciousness of like almost code switching. But it's it's definitely, see, and that's uh, the, when we were talking earlier about like, defaulting to humor to like to deflect and to almost like as a defense mechanism with those kind of like uh weird weirdly racial like tone things where it's yeah we can we can make we can point and we can make fun and we can make fun of it and we can make light of it but at what point are we playing into using that kind of destructive language over and over and over again and still leaving it a part of the conversation instead just immediately calling out and trying to exit out before uh it spirals again yeah yeah absolutely. and if you draw on the the new podcast invisibilia from npr they had a whole a whole episode about um how people's beliefs about you impact um the way that you act and, and approach life so I, I don't know if any of you listened to it yet but the test that they talked about at the beginning of the episode was they had a bunch of rats for testing purposes i, I heard that yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and um and they basically said like these this group of rats is dumb, this group of rats is smart, uh, group A take the dumb ones, group B take the smart ones and go run these tests. And the smart rats like doubled the results, like it was just insanely better. And the the whole point of this is that none of the rats were dumb, none of the rats were smart, yeah, they're, they're all just average rats. rats. But because we were told that this one's dumb, we're going to treat a little bit more harshly or we're not going to 
we're going to like look at it weird or it's the energy that we put toward that red is going to influence how it behaves. And this got, they went like way to the extreme by saying that um, the reason blind people aren't able to move through this world and quote unquote see is because we're telling them that they can't do things. Um, whereas a lot of like, there's, you know, this one guy that can ride a bike and he's teaching people how to learn sonar basically. And yeah. Like yeah. Um, and one of the things that I took away from that, I thought was really fascinating is the concept that when it comes to being in any sort of, um, group, the way that the rest of the world sees that group is highly influential. So as you're saying like, oh, I'm part of this group or I'm, my apartment sees me this way. Um, I'm going to act more that way. And so people say, well, in society, how come that group doesn't just stop doing those things? And it's like, well, if we keep expecting them to behave badly, they're going to unconsciously behave badly. Or if we expect them to do well, they're going to unconsciously do well, depending on the group and depending. And that can be broken down into any sort of social, economic, um, racial, or anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. What, Martin... What label do you think you've carried before that you have like perpetuated because you have the label? Hmm. Um, I've had the label of kind of non-serious jokester for a good portion of my life. Um, like kind of the wacky off the wall, which has actually changed out recently. But as a kid, I was like, I thought everyone expected me to be really over the top, so I was over the top, and that self-perpetuated all through middle school and high school, and was something I actually had to actively fight with myself, because I'm naturally an introvert, and so in order to be an extrovert, people would be like, oh, no, you like, why, why won't you come out and question me when I'd want to stay in, or question me when I'd not want to be around people, um, and so I would like force myself to do it, and actually, like, Back in like you know middle school, it was like drink a bunch of Mountain Dew and get crazy at the dance, or, and that was drink a bunch of beer in college and get crazy at the dance. And um, it's funny because after a while, once you realize that uh, you don't really care about what people's expectations are and you don't feel the need to fulfill them, I was in on a Friday night reading and I was just like, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is beautiful. I'm just gonna do this more often. Right. And uh, it's it's a much more calming feeling. I would say that's the one that immediately jumps to mind. Yeah. Clementine, what labels? Well, this, I mean, this goes back to the poem that you uh, performed at the yeah, open hometown. mic, which was, yeah, about your hometown. Mm -hmm. And you talked all about how it's like the town of rednecks and it's something right. you've like, you've fought to run away from, but that you will like defend to the death. Yeah. Um, what label, I mean, just, I guess. Talk more about that, though, and the labels that can associated with that, and how you react. With my home, yeah. Um, so I'm from, uh, I'm from Medford, Oregon, which is, uh, Oregon kind of is a fairly liberal place, but Medford, um, a lot of like rural Oregon or small town Oregon is very conservative, um, and I felt like. I mean, yeah, the kind of the point of the the poem or the turn in the poem is is kind of the turn of what happened when I left Oregon when I was 16. Um, I, up until then, I had felt very, very alienated from, um, very, very alienated from my hometown. And again, like you're always, um, you always kind of define yourself by what marginalizes you. And I felt um, like such an outcast there. And then I went 
to um, went to a boarding school um, and was uh, on scholarship. And a lot of people, it was the first time where pretty much everyone that I knew was significantly wealthier than me um, and had come from big cities or very cultured environments. Um, and I felt, again, very marginalized and found myself suddenly really strongly identifying with the place that I came from, that I had been really actively fleeing up until that point. Um, and it's still, I mean, I, there, yeah, there's, there's still, you know, a lot of, a lot of bad things about, or a lot of things about my hometown that I don't like, but, um, I think that being from there, uh, makes me feel really down to earth. It's given me kind of interest and perspective that I wouldn't have gravitated towards naturally. Um, and it really is like a really, a, you know, a really beautiful place to be from. Like I'm, I'm proud to be from there, um, even if it was for me a very alienating place growing up. I think I fluctuated between uh, trying really hard to um, act like I knew about a lot of stuff that I did not know about um, and trying to figure out how I could uh, dress the same as everyone else. And also uh, it kind of fluctuated between like trying to very much fit in or aggressively trying not to fit in um, and aggressively kind of self-identifying with being from being from Medford and being from a conservative small place, and uh, I think I kind of exaggerate the chip on my shoulder wherever I am, mm -hmm. uh, just because it makes it easier for people to kind of understand where you come from, like, yeah. or to understand where you're coming from in any situation. Yeah. Um, I think what's, and what's really important about that is the idea of, like, calling, calling a spade a spade up front, right? Yeah. Like, I know in my own life, um, for a lot of my time growing up, and a little bit now, um, you know, like, amongst a group of white people, black people, whatever, it's like, people feel like they can, you know, talk to me in an Indian accent, let's say. Mm. And growing up, you kind of want to fit in a little bit more, so you let it slide. But the first time you let it slide makes it okay for that person and kind of everyone else who might be there in that instance. So you're saying... Yes, this is okay for you to do this, for you to, let's say, marginalize, marginalize me in this way. Versus, I'd say in the last few years, I have actually made a concerted effort to kind of like, you know, cut that down at the knees. So when someone does that right up front, I will just like, I'll like sass them back in a way that tells them like, you can't do that. And then they yeah. stop doing it and they know it's not okay. I remember being at a, like a friend's party a couple of years ago and someone telling me, you know who you really look like? And I'm like, I didn't know where she's going with this one. You really look like that Indian guy in the Big Bang Theory. State that nearly 14 billion years ago expansion started. Wait, the earth began to cool, 
the autotrophs began to drool Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall. We built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery that all started with the Big Bang. Wait a minute. Yeah. That guy? Like, and no. I, and I yeah, go, at least Aziz or something. Yeah, no, I'm like, Aziz I'll take. Like, that's fine. Because I do look like him. I mean, you're, you're a lot taller than him. Yeah. <laughs> but, and so, so she tells me that, and I go, oh, really? Uh, does he have, like, short hair like mine? And she's like, no, his hair's a little bit longer. And I go, okay, um, d- does he have a beard? And she's like, no, he doesn't. And I go, so does he, like... Have an American accent? And she's like, no. And I go, oh, well, then you look like every white person I've ever seen, too. <laughs> and she was just like, oh, I'm so sorry for saying that. And I, and I just kind of like, you know, I, I can sass people back. But right. in that instance, now the person knows, like, okay, it's not okay for you to set that precedent for me. Yeah. Versus I think I just kind of succumbed to the environment before because I think whether we want to admit it or not, at some point in our lives, or maybe at all point in our lives, we, we do want to fit in to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. You can say you don't care about fitting in, but at the end of the day, like, we do want to, like, you know, make connections with people, and that involves fi- forming common ground at some point. And I know, in my, I know for myself, like, I would let that stuff slide before for the sake of just being like, yeah, it's all cool, guys, but then the, f- the first time you let it happen, it, make, it lets everyone in that instance know this is okay, and then, they, and then people can pile on from there. And I've been on an invisibilia kick lately because I just discovered it. But um, what what you're talking about, kind of how we all still want to fit into some sort of group, even if it's not the original group we were assigned to. Um, if we leave that group, we go seek another group. And it's not necessarily always about how you look or, or your background. It could be you know poetry. It could be whatever other type of group you find. Um, a lot of people go political with that or, or different things. And What's, what I think is interesting is in one of the um, invisibility ones, they said, they made this point that as, as we get older, like especially toward the end of life, we, uh, everyone tends to get more racist um, in every individual <laughs> section. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, and so it's like, but it's really like toward like the end, end of life. So like the example they gave us that there's this um, Indian retirement home and the guy, it was like the worst part of the time of the recession, he still ended up selling out the whole thing, so he basically built like a little India in Florida. Mm. And um, it was just, you know, amazing for all the people that were there. And they were interviewing him, they were talking about all these things, and they brought up a lot of stats saying like, you know, Germans become, want to be around more Germans, and Indians want to be around more Indians uh, when they get older, and to have those traditions and to have those common experiences. And also because I think all of us throughout our life, we notice that people who are different than us look at us a little differently. And if we sense our own mortality, we don't want to put up with other people's crap. And so if people <laughs> are looking at us that way, we're going to just naturally push them out and grab someone that's not looking at us yeah. that way. And what's what I find interesting about that is as we get further and further away from our roots, what are the communities that we're going to flock back to as right. we get older? Because um, well, I don't quite is, know what my yeah. root would be. Mm-hmm. So my roommate was actually just telling me about that specific episode last night. And um, what I'm wondering is, so you mentioned as we get older, we get more, I guess, we want more of our, our own. Yeah, <laughs> we want to anchor back. Yeah, but is that because we have not yet had a elderly generation yet that has grown up post-segregation? That's what I, exactly what I was thinking, too, because, like, I... because. 
my yeah i'm first generation like my parents uh got here in like 80 in like around around the 80s and uh yeah and uh they they got here around the 80s and a lot of uh the criticisms that me and my brothers have when we talk about like uh our heritage is that we that there we know a lot of our friends parents who have never learned english or that they have just refused to go outside of the vietnamese community within uh portland they that they just stay within like their small circle and just like only kind of go on these specific streets because these are the streets that they know these are the these are the people that they know and they don't have to learn anything new and it's interesting because yeah my parents like have kind of broken out of that they uh, are they you know they interact with more and more outside of Portland and like with other people but we know a lot of Asian a lot of Asian parents that like are very just stay in that small circle and I don't think we've reached that generation of like that post segregation of like kind of like our generation of, right. uh, of of us more more melting pot e I guess. But then you start taking a look at social media. So what are the things that segregate people our age, right? And I see it happening with politics, with um, you know, I guess lifestyle values. Like um, people will be in their vegetarian groups, or people will be in their political groups, or people will be in their. Um, gluten-free groups, <laughs> but like, um, like there's there's other things that people are grabbing onto and they're a little more intangible and one of the things that, this might be getting a little too far off so we'll, we'll bring it back, but one of the things that kind of scares me about like the hashtag fever that people get and this um, like political fever that a lot of people get online on both sides is that it takes away any of the conversation around it. So it's almost even hard to know which group you're part of because <laughs> this hashtag could mean something to you and mean something completely different. It's like the yes all women, not all men hashtag. Yeah, yeah. Like you might tweet back at one person who says yes all men or not all or not all men or yes all women or whatever, the, I don't remember what the hashtags mm -hmm. were. And you're tweeting just at that one person to try and have your dialogue with that person. But because it's part of this hashtag, you're gonna get a barrage of other voices who may or may not fully agree with the original comment right. or may not have even read it. And now you've got a whole different discussion and people kind of jumping into these groups. And so one of the things that, as we were talking about this stuff and, and you were kind of talking about the political earlier is um, the thing that I really think has been a, a sort of perception put upon me my whole life is that I am a uh, you know, upper middle class white Republican. And it's never really been the full truth there. Um, and so, like growing up, it was very. I grew up in a very conservative family. Didn't always agree with everything that was being said. I'm definitely more liberal-minded um, towards certain things. Um, I guess if if you're gonna, you know, like there's the fiscally conservative, socially liberal, but no, that doesn't even fully encompass uh, all the all the things that I think about. And what I found the most interesting was when I was at DePaul. And I was an RA at DePaul, this is a school in Chicago, and the RA group is very um, open-minded. Like that's, you have to be in order right. to be an RA. You have all these students from all over the country coming into the school and, and you know, different sexual orientations and everything like that. And while I was there, I was very open-minded, or I still am very open-minded, but what I thought was really interesting was I wasn't liberal enough Mm -hmm. for the RAs and then when I was at home I wasn't conservative enough mm -hmm. for my family and so I was in this really weird middle ground where I'd be getting yelled at by both sides and I was never really arguing back so I was just like why are you guys just like yelling at me mm -hmm. 
And it was also right in the heat of Obama's election. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like sitting there and people were like, you going to the rally tonight? And I was like, I don't like either candidate. <laughs> no. And like, then I got like screamed at and I'm like, but then, okay. and then you, for not doing that, there's a label put on you that maybe you're a Republican or maybe that you don't care about America or whatever just because you choose not to go to that rally. Yeah, my, my family hates me because I didn't vote. Everyone in school hates me because yeah. I, I... It's like the, it's a very weird thing where you start finding yourself by having... by trying to stay out of arguments, having arguments just placed on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a lot of human nature. It's just we, like, we are confused animals and we will always try to, like pin something onto someone if we don't understand. Like, that's usually our, like, first, like, go-to. Uh, me and Clementine talk about this a lot, and just, uh, like, we find that the... We find that, uh, like, we, we we are, like, pretty, like, liberal-minded people, but, like, um, we, we have a lot of... Well, Clementine has a lot of, like, more radical friends, and we were talking about how, like, we when uh, Clementine was thinking about, like... The radical tendencies. She was also like you. You wanted to learn you more about my friends on blast. Right no, now. no, no, no. <laughs> your friends on blast. I'm more talking about like so. You wanted to understand more about what are like, their names? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's no, what they um, But yeah, no. So I, I definitely think that I tend towards a more like radical, like liberal leaning um, than most people. But there's a lot of. Um, I feel very compelled to try and like understand the things that I'm rejecting before I consciously reject them. And I think that like when I was like 20 and in college, I felt very, very alienated by America. And that kind of made me get really nerdy about American history. And that uh, I, I, I'm still very angry and alienated by uh, a lot of a lot of things. Um, but it, it also becomes a much more complicated and rich culture. Yeah, and that's what I was uh, trying to get at, is, like, uh, a lot of the times people will stay in their, it's, will literally, will stay in their lanes, but, like, not understand more about the concept and the culture, because once you do, then you realize, oh, I don't know where I stand. This is a lot more complicated than it actually mm -hmm. is. Like, right. you can say you're a liberal, but, like, when you really go down to it, it's like, there's so many other things that are, regard that regard just the politics alone, and, like, mm -hmm. you go into, like, personal relationships, Relationships, then it's like really just like, yeah. well, what does it mean to be like an Asian American versus yeah. American versus like all these other all those other identities? Well, what you're talking about with hashtags, I and and uh, not wanting a bunch of people involved in a conversation, I do kind of think that um, the point is to have that conversation. Like the point of a hashtag is that it's it's an attempt to facilitate a conversation on a global level. Um, I think anytime you self-identify with um, a philosophy like feminism, you're not saying like I am like if I, I am a feminist. If, like, if I'm a feminist, I'm not saying that I automatically agree with every feminist because I really don't. I think that what you're saying is I believe women are people, and I want to be a part of the ongoing mm -hmm. conversation about that and what that means. Yeah, I. It's so funny because it honestly it wasn't until a few months ago that I actually saw what the actual definition of feminism or feminist is. And it's just that you believe women have equal rights as men. Yeah. Right? Isn't that just being like a humanist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but like feminism and feminist carries this connotation of, oh, like you should have hair under your armpits if you're right. female. Yeah. And you should be like hating men and all that stuff. And that's, that's not the case. It's almost like 
men are perpetuating, yeah. <laughs> people oh, yeah. are, are perpetuating yeah. an yeah. stereotype of feminist to invalidate what they're saying, Absolutely. rather than com- having a conversation. And then you get the meninist hashtag, and you get all that yeah. fucking insulting things. The hashtag <laughs> is so funny because, so um, I was recently interviewed on <clears throat> someone else's podcast mm. named Harley Evelyn and his show, <clears throat> People Who Matter. And also, you're a person that matters to. I, I guess. To someone. And the hashtag he was using for it was episode 14 of the show, so it was hashtag PWM people who matter PWM 14. And so I tweeted about it using hashtag PWM 14. And then I searched PWM hashtag PWM 14 to see what you know, what was being talked about about it. And then apparently, hashtag PWM14, Martin, to your point about like being in conversations you don't know are happening, mm-hmm. also stands for Pudding Wrestling Massacre 2014. Nice. Pudding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was some like local bar in, like, I don't know so where, nice. that oh, was that having like pudding awesome. wrestling matches. Right, well, that's, that's, a conversa- going. <laughs> that's a conversation we need to be having Yeah, right exactly. <laughs> so I want to be part of the Pudding Wrestling Massacre. How do we get into that perception of reality? <laughs> um, I think, though, on, on like the feminist, whatever politics point Republican I think what's important to understand is that I think Chris Rock said it a couple years ago or maybe even more than that but he's like I love when people say that they're Democrat or they say they're Republican but the whole country's got a fucked up mentality man we all got a gang mentality Republicans are fucking idiots and Democrats are fucking idiots and conservatives are idiots and liberals are idiots and anyone that makes up their mind before they hit an issue is a fucking fool, okay? Everybody, no, 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 no. Everybody's so busy wanting to be down with a gang. I'm a conservative, I'm liberal, I'm conservative. It's bullshit. Be a fucking person. Listen. Let it swirl around your head. Then form your opinion. No normal decent person is one thing, okay? I got some shit I'm conservative about. I got some shit I'm liberal about. Crime, I'm conservative. Prostitution, I'm liberal. And I think it's one of the most important things. Like, I always try to say I have liberal viewpoints. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I never say I am a liberal or I am a Democrat. And I think what's the, the, the diction that's key there is we often say we are this, or I am this, or you are that. Mm -hmm. And maybe we should start thinking more in terms of I enjoy this, or I have this quality to me. Because then it's not representative of you at the core of who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. It's just a piece of your personality, maybe. Yeah. Or something that you are involved in. And then there's actually a funny onion. I only read the headline, but it (laughs) said, uh, it said... Um, Chicago man, Chicago man's political views able to withstand two questions, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, um, but I, I think that, and I think that's where I was in college too, where I didn't, I didn't feel I knew enough about any of the issues uh, that people were yelling about to really make a clear decision because, you know. From what I'd been exposed to in Fox News and great stuff like that, doesn't really give you a very well-rounded view. And then all of my liberal friends at the time, all they did was watch John Stewart, which don't get me wrong, love John Stewart, but still doesn't give you like a still a doesn't give you a very knowledge. well-rounded, um, yeah, exactly, well-rounded knowledge. And 
I remember in high school I had a debate, and this was back when Jon Stewart still had like a couch. It wasn't even like a political show yet. Mm-hmm. And all she was quoting was John Stewart, John Stewart, John Stewart. And I was like, is that the only place you get your news? And she goes, well, yeah. And I was like, we're going to have a really hard time debating here. Yeah, uh, it's just like... Because there's no... There's, like, you get, you get the facts that he gives you, but that's not... Like, obviously, it's a TV show, so even if he wanted to give you all the facts, he couldn't give you all the facts. Mm-hmm. And that's the key piece that I thought was missing, and still, I think, is missing in a lot of conversations, yeah. which is the dialogue back and forth on a one-on-one basis because people go, oh, you're, you're Republican, you're Democrat, I'm never going to convince you of anything. Yeah. But I'm open to being convinced. That's, that's yeah. the only... If you're going to ask me about my politics, I'm open to being convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being said, I think one of the reasons I make the hashtag comment is because I, when I see hashtags like that, it reminds me of being in a room full of people in college in a dorm somewhere where everyone's just screaming at each other. Tell me that you've seen her Girl, you're the creme de la creme Couldn't be cleaner She like the way I'm doing my thing But she said It, it can make it kind of difficult to figure out a, a, one, a great thing about uh, the internet and all the sources we have is that you can kind of seek out mm-hmm. all these different viewpoints mm-hmm. uh, Unfortunately, they're often hard to prove yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, who has their, their sources yeah. And then not. a lot of it is that we don't necessarily take the time to find yeah. other sources. or It's like everything's curated for us, right? You get your Facebook news feed or like right. the trending stories on Facebook. But so you click just, that article yeah, but those of for that you. source. Those yeah. for you. Well, and, yeah. and like even Brian Williams today getting uh, suspended or whatever because he made up a story about himself. Yeah. yeah. And like, but I, I think even more interesting than that with the Onion thing, like I just read it and I remembered the headline. I didn't even open the link. Yeah. And... We're getting really good at comedy news and satire, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, I know I've read some things and not known if it's a true story, like an actual news source, or if it's like a joke news source. Because mm-hmm. there's there's ones that I don't even know. They're like all these new, you know, joke news sources right. popping up every day, and so I I don't even know the names anymore. Like it yeah. could be a real, and and it sounds real, and everyone even professional news sources like New York Times is still trying to get that headline that'll catch you. Yeah. Right. And so you start getting a little bit like I know it's people It's like headline make, baiting, right? Yeah. 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 But but yeah. that's all people get is the headline yeah. and they don't read the story and they don't know where it came from and then you're get you get into an argument with someone or a discussion with someone and they start throwing a headline at you. Yeah. And then you go, go on. <laughs> That's all I got. And it only withstood two questions. All I can do is repeat that same headline, but say it louder and shout it. <laughs> but uh, with that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like everything in the world, everything has like its ups and downs, like the pros and cons. Like, yeah, the internet has kind of created a way where we are pretty, like, pretty, I, wouldn't, I, want, I don't want to say, like, sh- like, quick to just change, like, and be, like, uh, what, what do I, like... Yeah. Atten- like not attention deficit but like you know obviously like we want to go from thing to thing and we're just yeah. bombarded with so much information but the also cool thing about that is that then it has kind of made everyone step their game up a little bit now everyone has to be a better like creator of media yeah and like and I mean we are like both of our careers have kind of like were made on the internet so yeah. we have some pretty like strong opinions about the internet and obviously like 
I mean, yeah, my video, like, has, like, you know, that, like, a million plus views, and obviously you read the comments, and you're like, I'm gonna screen cap these comments, because these are just dumb comments. Yeah. <laughs> like, Tiger Woods is Asian. Like, he's half Asian. You can just Google that. You're on the computer right there. <laughs> like, yeah. you want, you're just right there. There's there's just one, he was like, like the poem, but, t- but Tiger Woods ain't no Asian. Um, and then people were like, uh, no, his mom's know. actually Thai, and he's just like, and it's just like this weird, like, back and forth. And if we can just say... If you want a collection of the worst people in the world, just read YouTube video oh, comments. Uh, any YouTube video yeah. comment. It could be like a small child just smiling for the first time, and it's like, I hope that baby dies. Yeah. So it's like, downvote. It's like, why? Why? It's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm so happy when it's like one of those, like, real, like a nice inspirational video, and it's like, comments are disabled. And I'm like, thank yeah. goodness. I don't want to read anything like that would like make me feel sad about this, this TED Talk. Yeah. I went and looked at my Goodreads profile yesterday. Um... Uh, which is like a review site for books, basically. It's and like, like a more community user based yeah. like review site. It's like yeah. Yelp, but for books. And-, mm-hmm. and someone had left a review of one of my books that was just like three stars, and it wasn't even like they hated it. They just like uh, thought that it was really unoriginal, which was somehow even worse. Yeah. And um, so I read like this negative review of my book, and then like I clicked on the link. Uh, her Crush by Richard Sykin, which is, in my opinion, like, the best book, the best poetry book that's been written in the past, like, 25 years, and, like, read negative reviews of that book and, like, felt better. So, okay. <laughs> like, everyone has people yeah. that, like, everyone gets shit on on the internet. Like, yeah. there's ben not, Franklin you can't Franklin had escape. a comment section somewhere it, in his Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one is, is exempt yeah. from just mean-spirited anonymous people on the internet. So that gets to the second part, which is how do you guys deal with perception versus reality? Because with your careers being made online, the online perception, as we all know, like, you know, the way we create our social media, the way we post certain pictures and not other pictures and, and content, you guys are all about creating content. How do you manage, number one, the perception you put out, and then number two, the perception that people have of you, and then... I guess, so it's what you put out there, what you get back, and then how you view yourself from what you get back based off what you were just talking about. Um, people are generally really, really kind to me. Like, I'm always uh, very surprised because, I mean... Well, la-dee-da. No, I'm saying, like, yeah, a lot Stop of... Stop being a jerk, <laughs> No, I mean, a lot of women on the internet get told that get told a lot of really messed up stuff, Um I wrote a poem about Kim Kardashian that got pretty popular, and I got like that was the one that I got some aggression. You totally when you performed that, you totally blew my mind. (laughs) Yeah, that was the that was the first room where uh, because it's a poem in which uh, I just talk about how much I respect Kim Kardashian for kind of uh, turning sexual exploitation into empowerment. I think that's a really fascinating thing. Um, Can you do the poem for it right now? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> boom, 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 right. boom. Should we snap when she hits the <laughs> <laughs> Um It's called, so this is called, uh, I just titled it. It's called like, Salome, it's Salome Redux. Yeah. Salome dances the dance of the seven veils. The men all eye her like wolves on the hunt, this beautiful thing. Finally, undressing for them. Finally, they can see her exactly how they want to, first veil drops. 
In 2007, Kim Kardashian's ex-boyfriend releases their sex tape against her will. Kim Kardashian, rather than hide in shame, uses the publicity to promote her own career. Salome dances like a dream half-remembered. Salome moves like a siren song and everyone aches for the hot sugar of her hip bones. The second veil drops in 2014. Kim Kardashian walks down the aisle and the whole world watches if only all of us were so successful in our revenge. If only all of us stood on the backs of those who betrayed us in our Louboutin heels, surveying the world we created for ourselves. The third veil drops. Kim Kardashian knows exactly what you think of her. She presses the cloth tighter against her skin. Her smile is a promise she never intends to keep. Salome shows us her body, but never her eyes. The fourth veil drops. The four things most recently tweeted at Kim Kardashian were, at Kim Kardashian, suck my dick. At Kim Kardashian, can I meet Kanye? At Kim Kardashian, please, Fuck me, Kim Kardashian, I love you. Love me. Women are told to keep their mouths shut. Women are told to keep their legs shut. Some women are kept quiet for so long they become experts in the silent theft of power. The fifth veil drops. Kim Kardashian made $24 million last year. Last night, uncountable men in their miserable lives, told their miserable friends how Kim was nothing but a dumb whore and Kim Kardashian will never even learn their names. The sixth veil drops. The seventh veil drops. And Salome sat beside King Herod, and he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give unto half my kingdom. Salome smiles and says, Bring me the head of John the Baptist, punish those who would hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Martin, that's that's my second time hearing it. Martin, that's your first time hearing it. And when we talk about perception versus reality, now, this is probably the first. This is definitely the first time. I have heard a different perception of Kim Kardashian, and one that's that is arguably more reality than what you or I feel, or what most of America feels, which is fame whore shouldn't you know shouldn't even be famous in the first place, mm-hmm. and has no talent. And I think it's so crazy because all it takes is, and I mean this when I say like it blows my mind hearing that, because all it takes is just a different viewpoint right. to open your eyes that there's maybe a different something else going on here. Right. And, and yeah, we, we talk about Kim a lot. We like Kim a lot and I, we love Kanye a lot too. Like we're really, we want to be Kim and Kanye to a certain <laughs> extent. But uh, like the whole like break the internet pictures with Kim and everyone's just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Kim's doing all this. I like everyone was missing like I thought was the more interesting like point was like well she was replicating these photos that were like really really like right like right so she's so she's um you know a white person um like she's like English and Armenian and she's recreating these photos that were pretty sexually um objectifying of of black women in really kind of stereotypical ways and people were kind of it seemed like all the kind of think pieces and column inches were about how she was such an idiot for not knowing 
Um, but, you know, she, Kim Kardashian has, like, four clothing lines and, like, five TV shows. And One of the most successful mobile video games yeah. ever. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like, very much like that. She's kid. not a, right, she's she's not not a dumb woman. She's clearly very smart. Um, she she plays, runs an empire. And she puts this, like, you know, she obviously puts this very, very polished media presence out in the world. And there, there, I just read this headline where it's, like, Kim Kardashian said, like, ask my bank account what I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, it was, it, that was such an interesting thing for me because I, I felt like to say, like, you know, this idiot doesn't understand this kind of racially charged thing she just did. Like was less interesting than this woman who is married to a black man and has a, a black daughter. And who uh, also, like, is... Made like, this choice. Yeah, and also whose husband is very, very racially... Is, like, very motivated through a lot of race relations and, like, trying to uh, try to dismantle this system. She understands what's going on and has now started to understand more as having, like, a daughter who is half black. It's, like, we're missing the more interesting questions. It's like, well, then why did you, like, do this if you know that this is something that objectifies? Because it, yeah. that's just, like, the more interesting question, but people are, immediately will jump to, like, you know, for clickbait, for demonizing someone because it's just the easier choice. Yeah, that's right. it. It's the easy thing to do is right. to make a snap judgment. Yeah, it's easier to ignore the asterisks and because the asterisks will always lead to a footnote that's really long and you don't want to read it, so it's easier to just ignore that. But, yeah. like, with everyone, like, I'm a liberal, asterisks because there's all this. Like, yeah. I'm a Republican, asterisks, like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like, we kind of ignore that because it's easier just to jump on one side or the other. And you read House of Leaves and the asterisk has an asterisk. Has an asterisk. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but it's funny because you say, like, you've never heard an opinion like that. And I've never heard that specifically, but being the um, headline, I, I always remember headlines that I scroll past quickly. And I remember <laughs> a headline that kind of talked about what you were saying. Didn't click on it because I was scrolling too fast. Right. But I almost want to go back and find that. Maybe it was a link to... Your poem, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but I it like I I just kind of caught the glimpse that um, that had that that idea in it, and it brought me back to this cracked podcast uh, that I listened to where they said uh, I'm not sure if they talked Kim Kardashian, but they said Paris Hilton, mm-hmm. and I think they said Kim Kardashian or it might have been um, someone else who had a sex tape, but they basically were saying like the way we view celebrities isn't really right like oh, right, right, we, we're, yeah. we're, we've got this like we actually take their brand as face value instead of yeah. trying to go behind it and see what's behind it and um they said that um people like kim kardashian and uh paris hilton are actually some of the smartest marketers they've and, mastered and, the art of persona uh, yeah, oh it's fascinating it's like how do you turn because there are so many rich rich women who want to be paris hilton and who want to be this type of a thing, but don't, mm-hmm. right? And can't, and so it's like, what made? It, it's as with any sort of industry, as with any sort of job, the best people are going to rise to the top. And if she's been at the top and she stayed at the top this long, there's something. Exactly. There. Exactly. Yeah. Like keeping up the Kardashians. It's a what? In like its eighth season. Like twelfth season. Twelfth season. Yeah. Like so, it's been on the air for twelve years and it's like not slowing down and has three other shows like attached to it and like everyone is very independently wealthy in their family. Like, obviously, they're doing something right, but 
Oh gosh, the uh, Art of Persona. And did you guys watch Two Chains? Inter- uh, yes, I watched it. That was the next best. thing in, that, in my it's head. It's the best thing because yeah, like speaking of art of like Art of Persona, I hope they're just two like people who are living as living performance art, and they just <laughs> met <laughs> and just was like just created this beautiful yeah. work of art. A gift oh, to the rest. So my point to you is, you say that there are reasonable people that can smoke pot, use pot and they won't involve their children nobody else is going to get hurt but what about these people that's what makes me keep arguing about this two chains people like this this guy melvin blevins it's the same thing we talked about earlier darling with the legalization of alcohol you will find some footage like this but everybody is not doing this everybody won't be some people actually love their child some people know that this is obviously wrong so this is nothing to really argue about. These people are imbeciles. Okay. You can't use this case to define the whole community. I got a problem. As successful as you are, as rich as you are, as famous as you are, with this. Smoking California weed with California whores. Mm. Excuse me. Uh, true. I left that one out. Smoking true. California <laughs> weed with California hoes. True. And her argument is emotional stories. Mm-hmm. That you can't refute and sensationalizing and them. sensationalizing yeah. them because and, you can't refute an emotional story that is very specific in this. And, and but what she does is she applies that to everything. Yeah, yeah. right. And that's what media and, and yeah. these articles try to do is they try to take one thing and make it ubiquitous, yeah. which is what ruins the whole discussion yeah. that people are trying to have. So to that point, I want to go back to the, the Kanye aspect of, mm-hmm. of Kanye. Uh, <laughs> Kanye. In my opinion, rapper-wise, someone who I loved in early to or mid two thousands as he rose up with college dropout mm-hmm. and late registration. You know, I was all on the Kanye train. Right. Graduation came out in 07, and I was like, "This is pretty good." I can. I'm like, "Ah, he's starting to veer off onto a path that I don't totally love." Right. 808s and Heartbreak came out, and I was like, "This is garbage." I don't like auto tune really? very much. Really, 808s is my favorite. I'm just, I'm just not an auto tune kind oh, of person. Yeah, that's, that's definitely real, but we have a lot of conversations sure. about Kanye. <laughs> In the night I hear him talk The coldest story ever told Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless How could you be so heartless? Oh, how could you be so heartless? How could you be so cold as the winter wind When it breeze yo Remember that you talking to me though You need to watch the way you talking to me yo It was a fantasy and I was like There are some gems on this There are some songs that kind of go on for four minutes longer than they should <laughs> But I was like okay He's kind of morphing into a different rapper Than yeah. what I like anymore And then you also take around the time of like 808s and beyond then So like 2009 yeah. and forward Kanye becomes this Outspoken guy beyond just music, right? Yeah. He runs up on stage and interrupts Taylor Swift. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. Right. All this stuff adds up, and you know, like my Facebook, you know, the Grammys just happened. Yeah. And my Facebook newsfeed is filled with all these people being like, Kanye is such a moron, like, here he goes again. And okay, maybe he doesn't pick the best outlet to voice that opinion in these instances, or maybe he doesn't say them in the best way possible. But what happens is people then 
dismiss everything that someone ever has to say right. because at one point they may have said something stupid or may have said it in a way that's not phrased correctly. Right. No one will ever, not no one, but a lot of people will never give him the time of day anymore uh, or, or listen to anything that he has to say because now it's, oh, guess what? Kanye opened his mouth again. Yeah, but you like never Kanye actually listen to what he has to Kanye. say. Where, yeah, where he's, like, he's not talking about, like, he's not talking about the artistry of Beck because, like, he's a musician. Obviously, he, like, loves, he, like, he respects Beck a lot, but he was, like, yeah, like, I love Beck's work. I don't think he had album of the year, and that's what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about the Grammys rewarding mm-hmm. something because, yeah. you know, th- like, you can make the argument, all right, Grammys will reward, like, best album, like, you know, most numbers. Like, Beyonce's album had the most numbers. Like, yeah. there's an ar- there's a conversation to be had. And I think Kanye has slipped into this, like, in, into this position where he's like, well, he will say the things, and then all the buzz around it will generate yeah. and create yeah. more Or you just, you know, you pick one sentence out of a larger thing that he might have said. Like, did yeah. you guys see when he was on Jimmy Kimmel? I think it was last year. Mm-hmm. And in that interview, he was honestly, like, for as many, and this is what I think is interesting about someone like him, for as many outlandish things that they might say, you can also, if you actually look, there's as many like positive and as many intellectual things as that person is saying that just gets buried. And in yeah. this Kimmel interview, he was talking about how people laugh at him when he doesn't want to just be a rapper. He wants to be known in the fashion industry. Right. Well, you know, oh, you have to do music. I'm going to keep doing music, but what if people told me I couldn't rap? What would have happened? What if people told me I couldn't perform? You know, I'm only 36 years old. I have other goals and other things, and I'm going to use my platform, every platform, to stand up and say, I want to make something. I want to make the next Ralph Lauren. People don't stand up and protect their dreams. People are too scared of getting, you know, spoofed in a way. And the irony of it is so many people that are creatives, think about a creative person in school. When you picture them, you probably picture them all the way in the back of the class, sketching or maybe getting beat up. And this is the reason why I went on stage. This is the reason why I did this, because creatives have got beat up my entire life. I mean, taste, culture, art, you know, just the quality of life. You know, this is, this is what I'm here to do. So when I compare myself to Steve Jobs or uh, Walt Disney, Howard Hughes, uh, David Stern, Michelangelo, uh, Da Vinci, uh, Jesus, or whatever it is, I'm saying these are my heroes. And that's one of the most, I think, one of the more profound things that has been said in the last few years by him, but by anyone. But it's ignored because Kanye said... Uh, you know, Beyonce has one of the best videos of all time and runs on Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but and that's actually one of the biggest points because a lot of people want to wrap up their passion or their you know love into the execution of what they're doing. So you'll say to someone, you know, what's your passion? They'll say, I'm a painter. But painting isn't necessarily the passion; it's the execution of whatever the curiosity and the deep feeling that you are trying to express through your painting. Mm. You may never go to any other mediums or outlets. You may only stick with painting. But you look at Dr. Seuss. He wrote children's books. He wrote for Playboy. He did sculptures. He did all Mm. sorts of different things because he was trying to get out the stories in his head about... In whatever way best. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, like we always say, like we always kind of shy away from the word poet because we're we're primarily writers. Like we will write like, I feel like, yeah, poet is like very 
pinhole. Just like, try to not have a romantic idea of what it is that we do. Yeah. Or like, also, I, I feel like poet feels like synonymous with like unemployed. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. People, when I say I'm a poet, people think it's code for unemployed. Um, we're entrepreneurs. Which, we're unemployed. Yeah. yeah, it's just like okay. So no, literally, I ran into a teacher of mine from high school, and um, it was like my first book had come out, and I sold like ten thousand copies, and I was like feeling pretty great about myself. Um, I ran into this teacher, and she's like, "So what are you doing?" And I was like. Oh, I'm a I'm a writer now. Actually, I like so I'm self published this book. And no, she literally went, "Oh, oh, so you're so are you living at home with your parents now?" And I was like, "No, yeah. you're supposed to believe in me. You're an educator. Like, what are you doing? You're the one who told me to pursue <laughs> yeah. this in the first place." Well, I mean, in her defense, you're no longer the future. She doesn't have to care anymore. Yeah, yeah she doesn't care. <laughs> She's just worried about all the like, bringing it back to having people believe in you, though. Teachers and your edu- and the education system. If, if you're constantly taught, which most people are, that you'll never make money with art, yeah. mm-hmm. you're never going to believe that you can, and you'll and of course it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for a yeah. lot of people, right? That was kind of a thing you were talking about earlier, of like what you were perceived as versus how you behave. I feel like that was... I feel like that's the thing that I... Like, I feel like being told I was a fuck-up um, was the thing, the most like self-fulfilling prophecy I ever had. Like, I went to three high schools... And by the time I got to the third, I was, like, a senior who no one knew and, and kind of got written off by, I felt like, all of my teachers. And I felt it, that definitely became a self-fulfilling prophecy and became a really toxic environment for me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 23 and I run a small business and I have a pretty successful, like, writing career as well. And I, you know, I don't think that I'm a fuck-up. I think I'm doing fine. Um, but it was, I was pretty clearly on that path. I did not do well in high school, and I think that that's very, I, th- I think, you know, um, that was very much uh, because of the environment I was in. Yeah, we Had buy, it. We yeah. buy <laughs> a lot to what we are told. Like, uh, we, when we were in California uh, last month, we were running a workshop for these, uh, for in a middle school with the with a team of uh, 12-year-old poets, and these girls were incredible. They've been doing poetry for four years. They were so good. Like, I argue that they will, that they might be better than me. They will be better than me. I know hands down. Like, they're not even in, like, national competitions yet, but when they get there, they'll have at least eight years of experience, and it'll just be amazing. But uh, we had them run an exercise in which uh, there's a repetition of one part of your identity that you say over and over again in the poem, and you try to reclaim this part of your identity that people have shamed you for. So, like, for example, like, mine would have been, like, Asian boy. Like, the example poem that we use is a poem called Fat Girl by Megan Fally, and there's another one called uh, Black Girl by uh, Angel Nafis and uh, White Boy by John Sands. So it's, like, all these, like, things that people have felt shamed for or, like, marginalized for, and they, like, reclaim some truth about it or reclaim some power about it. So we had these girls, like, try to think of something in their hearts, like, you know, part of their identity. They couldn't think of one. They were just yeah. so, like, I'm awesome. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I guess I'm short, but it has its advantages. No one's mean yeah. to me about it. And yeah. they, just the way that they were, they, they've been together for four years, like, as a team, and they were so positive with each other and built each other up so well that it was just really, really inspiring to watch because it's like, yeah, like, you give encouragement to some kids and lo and behold, they're doing amazing work at right. 12 years old. One of them had just turned 13 that day. Right, and the idea, I mean, to me, I've been a 12-year-old girl. The idea of a whole group of 12-year-old girls with no sense of shame about their 
bodies or personalities is just like insane to me right and you know like you can make the argument like oh they didn't say any like you know they didn't say anything because they didn't want to like explore that or like confess that they're poets like that's all they've been doing they're all like they're all writing confessionary and like really really honest poetry and they i think they legitimately like couldn't really really delve into that part because it just wasn't really there it it reminds me of that new dove commercial um, you saw it with the Super Bowl. Kids. Yeah, so they oh, yeah, oh the one about yeah. they ask all the adults, uh, "What does it mean to or show us what running like a girl looks like?" And they're yeah, like kind of flailing the mm-hmm. arms or whatever, or throw like a girl, and it's like this sissy thing. And then they ask the whatever 12, 13 year old girls, mm-hmm. "Show us what running like a girl looks like." And yeah, it's like just, this power hustle or throwing like a girl is like throwing, you know, throwing a perfect spiral. Yeah, they're just doing whatever. They're I like doing. the ones where they ask like, "What would you change about your body?" And the girls oh, yeah. like, "I'd have like." Wings. Yeah. Yeah. Like shark teeth. Yeah. Shark teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. A monkey's crazy. tail yeah. might be kind of tight yeah. and like all. Oh man, animorphs when I was a kid. I would put a monkey tail. No, but, <laughs> there it is. There um, it is. Talk about perception versus reality, though, because those are that's a very crafted thing to make you buy soap. Oh but my we're God, all right? just like, yeah. oh, that's so moving. This <laughs> oh, like, oh, I mean, the McDonald's commercials, like those, <laughs> okay, like I'm such a sap, so they're like tug at my heart because it's like they show all like the little billboards where it's like goes through like America's mm-hmm. tragedies where it's like we are Boston and stuff and it's just like all these like really like kind of like, oh, There's that's one nice. Next to Pearl Buy a cheeseburger. But then it's also like, <laughs> right, oh, like, you're McDonald's, man. <laughs> yeah. But then it's also oh, like, Mac I love sauce, Big no. Macs. Like two for five Big Macs. How can I pass that Or out? the triple cheeseburger. For only like two dollars, like that's an amazing deal. <laughs> uh, this podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's really interesting because um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the, the, this whole podcast that we're doing right now is about the life changing questions you need to ask yourself in order to move past things or to have a, a much more well rounded life and yeah. to grow. And uh, one of the questions that they had in, in the podcast. Uh, the woman answered by saying, I wish that I had started earlier. Most definitely. And I feel like that's everyone. Because if really? you, and, and well, <laughs> except for maybe these like, you know, well, people who I, I didn't start yeah. writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't start writing. I didn't start writing like slam poetry until I was uh, 17. I'm 21 now, so it's been about four years. But like. I mean, I don't know. I still feel like, oh, imagine if I started at 15, I would, like, kind of have, I would just have two extra years of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I That's kind of what I feel. I wasn't ready. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I yeah. was, um, I've always been, like, a really monomaniacal person. When I was in high school, it was theater. That's, like, why I went to boarding school is to study theater in a really focused environment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like I had to do that. I had to get really intense with uh, a different art form and like learn it uh, and then kind of realize I need to move beyond it and move beyond it and be kind of without an outlet for a couple years um, before I, I start writing. I didn't start writing until I was 19. Yeah. Um, but I think the key there is that you had an outlet. I think yeah. a lot of people are discouraged from doing anything. You're right. And so like they maybe try to act in middle school and someone says you're terrible stop doing this yeah and they don't do any art for 10 years and then suddenly in their you know 20s or something or you know 30s they go I really wish I was painting again yeah and then they have to start yeah. all over well yeah. and I, I've I've told you this before Martin I think I've talked about it I'm actually on that people who matter podcast I talked about it uh, as someone who raps you know at first and even now to a degree I had to face from a lot of people that I knew this like 
who the fuck are you? Like, you're not black. Like, you know, you're not from the streets. Yeah, like, yeah. What, like, you're not. You're never gonna be a rapper. But it's like, just because you, I'm not doing it to become a professional rapper. It's like this is a creative outlet. And going back to the, the idea of like painting or like fashion is just someone's execution. For me, it's a creative outlet. Like, it's my version of a paintbrush and a canvas. Yeah. It's to make music and. I'm not trying to do it to be professional at it. I'm doing it because it's an outlet for me. And it's not like, you know, the person who's told, oh, you can't act and, like, so stop acting. It's like not everything has to be done for the sake of becoming professional and making money off of it. Yeah. Is the future here for us, dear? Well, the future's down the track. Yeah. We both know that's a fact. Hey, that's a fact, girl. But in this moment, it's a fable. Put your feet up on the deck. Before we, we conclude here, respectively, uh, Alex Clementine, where can we find your work or where can we find you? Uh, you can find my work at clementinepoetry.com, instagram.com slash clementinesonradics, and uh, my books are available on uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and bookstores worldwide. Awesome. Uh, my work, can, you can find me on facebook.com slash alexdangpoetry. Um, a lot of my work is on YouTube featured on Button Poetry. If you just YouTube Alex Dang, I should pop up. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, I have a, it's called, it's uh, Takumi the Fox, which is my old rapper handle. T-A-K-U-M-I the Fox. And uh, yeah, uh, generally if you just Google our names, we'll pop up and all of our books. Uh, if you buy from the, our Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash where are you press, uh, you'll be able to see all of our work. You'll be see all of our other uh, authors that we work with. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of amazing uh, authors that we're working with and that we're going to work with in the future. And uh, yeah. also, get, uh, help us help us make some money. We're young. Support our small business. Um, we'll also, we can usually sign books if you order them through the Etsy store, too, which yeah. we can't cool. do on Amazon. And we'll, uh, and we'll link it all up in the show notes. <laughs> um, and uh, the way we like to end our shows mm-hmm. is each go around and sort of answer the question or what the question what, what our individual answer is to it so mm-hmm. the question in this case Martin if you want to read it how do you deal with perception versus reality as well as I can it's very much a game of understanding who I am and having such a solid foundation in myself which has not been an easy task. It's come through a really strong community and a lot of lot of loving people that have helped me here. But it's really just being cemented and anchored in myself and understanding who I am and making that the best for myself in the world. Let's go to Martin. Um, I actively seek out um, feedback and criticism from others and then have extremely detailed conversations about those yeah, concepts. <laughs> uh, so um, I like to bring people together and have these types of conversations as often as possible in order to continue challenging my internal view of the world. In my case, I had this weird, almost like epiphany about a month ago, where I realized that nothing is reality, just bear with me while I go through this, okay? <laughs> so meta. Nothing is reality or nothing really exists. Everything that exists is just an interpretation of our experience. So, like, we're all sitting in this room right now, 
But my reality is different than Clementine's reality. He's different than Alex's. Is different than Martin's. And mine's right. <laughs> so when that when I thought about that, I was like, this is crazy, right? There's nothing that actually is real. It's just different interpretations of what you see. So like even, you know, you watch the news, but when I watch the news, I'm going to get something slightly different out of it than someone else who watches the news or, you know, any other types of things that are out there. Anything really that exists or that's what the world is. It's interpretations of experience. So for me, dealing with perception versus reality is trying to get as complete of an experience as possible. So we talked about do you just read the headline, or do you read the article, or do you read several articles on it? So oh, and I'm, no. not, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, and I'm not going to act like uh, I go and do that for everything. But for the things that I'm interested in, what I'm trying to do is get as complete a picture as possible, and you know, find are there opposing viewpoints to it, so that my interpretation of it is incorporating as many experiences as I can. Deal with it by understanding that the truth is always um, much more complicated than you can describe without tremendous effort. <laughs> 140 characters. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, writing, writing on the internet teaches you how to really limit words and yeah, to, be oh, as, to be as like Concise. to the point as possible. Yeah. That's that's so true too because there's always something to build on. Yeah, yeah. I think but, liking. I think liking Didion and Hemingway is what makes me want to say yeah. things in as few ways yeah. as possible. I mean, yeah, I was just thinking like epigrams. Like, you know who's good at epigrams? Ben Franklin. He had like a million yeah. in his autobiography. <laughs> I just, write like, everything like E.E. E. Cummings. Like, no one can just understand me. I'm <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Letters all over. Just like weird. You're like, how's your day? I'm like, H. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, so it's an H day. I understand. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, guys, for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, thank you yeah. for You're off to Columbus it. tomorrow, Cincinnati? Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati tomorrow. Yes, well. And can we play out on a uh, poem from you? Uh, yeah. Which poem did you guys want to hear? The reason why you guys were off for this conversation is because I feel like everything that I've heard from you, which is only like three poems each, <laughs> right. it all deals with perceptions versus reality. Yeah. So, Alex, in your case, there was the... The Asian American one. There was the millennials one. There was the hip hop one. Which is your favorite? Ugh, Clementine, you have to choose. You're the bo- you're the boss here. <laughs> I I literally work for Clementine. <laughs> Should I do a new one? Should I do Mark Wahlberg? Uh, yes. Do Mark Wahlberg. Do Mark Wahlberg. Premiere. Yeah. Premiere. 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 Gangster Grips. Hey, you're a goat. I'm Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, no, We have an acquaintance in San Jose named, uh, named Mike McGee, and his favorite thing to do was to make the air horn noise, which <laughs> is also... show in his kitchen, and it's just after every poem, he's like... <laughs> which is the correct way to respond to everything. To respond to it's way better. Yeah. It's just Exclusive. more exciting. All right, so this is going to be... This is about Mark Wahlberg? This is... This is, uh, yep, this is an open letter to Mark Wahlberg. Um, should I explain the premise? Or? I think just go into it. All right, here we go. Uh, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a new poem. This is called, Dear Mark Wahlberg, It has come to the attention of the public eye that you are requesting a pardon on a crime you committed over 25 years ago. When you were 16, filled with intoxicants and no good Boston street punk, you assaulted two Vietnamese men. It has been so long, and the collective Why Now has been circling the lips of media outlets. 
Some suggest you only want this pardon so you can obtain a liquor license and expand your burger restaurant, Wall Burgers, into California and across the nation. You said you want this pardon because the weight bears too heavy on your body and come on bended knees asking for forgiveness. You know what I think, Mark. I think you are like me and understand that the perfect burger must come with the perfect drink. And this is all for the love of burgers. I completely get it. If you're biting into one of your famous barbecue bacon burgers topped with white cheddar, bacon, avocado, fresh jalapenos, and barbecue sauce, it's not a complete meal unless you have a frosty beer to go with it. You're like me. You just love burgers that much. What would you recommend with it? I think a crisp, clean Pilsner would complement the heaviness and salt of the white cheddar and bacon. But what would you pick, Mark? What skull would you crack beer? What beer would you crack open to enjoy the burger with? And you know what? Let me ask you more about the patty. I prefer an 80-20 mixer, but I know you like things on the lean side. You'll probably mess around with an 85-15 and press the patties yourself. I mean, with hands like that, so easily acclimated to grind flesh, to render unconscious, render out the fat, right? Because this pardon is just for the burgers, right? Not because you brutally struck Tan Lim with a five-foot-long wooden plank and left him unconscious after spitting Vietnam fucking shit. You were only 16. You were drunk. You were high. High off the vision of these burgers, right? Drunk off the amazing Thanksgiving burger you would serve, right? You were trying to rob Lamb for the beer he was loading into his store. You just wanted a perfect pairing. Not because later you found Johnny Trin and punched him in the face so viciously that people say you blinded him. It wasn't about that or the fact that he was a slant-eyed gook. You were caught up as a kid from the mean side of your neighborhood. It was a different time. You have changed. Why does it matter what happened then if you are who you are now? Erase the crimes that you committed completely and you won't have to face them ever again. Finally, turn the blind eye you have been desperate all these years to turn. Say it was for your conscience. Say it was for your soul. Hell, say it was for your budding burger empire and you wanted to make more money. The Daily Mail interviewed one of your victims. They asked Johnny Trin about the assault, about his eye, and he said, oh, he was just a kid. I lost my eye before that in the war. He has my forgiveness. You have his blessing. He doesn't even care. He said he doesn't know who you are or have watched any of your movies. He does not care. Go on. Get your pardon. Clean your record. Bite into your favorite burger and taste blood. Speaking of perception versus reality. <laughs> That closed out our conversation with a world premiere poem from Alex Dang. Alex, thank you for sharing that with us. Clementine and Alex, thank you both for stopping by and hanging out on our show while on your national tour. That conversation was so much fun. It was just real. It was heavy. It was informative and just an awesome time hanging out with you and talking about those topics. If you want to find Alex and Clementine's work, we have their information in the show notes. If you've got questions about our show and want to continue the conversation at all, Tweet us at IdeaLemon. Email us at getfresh at idealemon.com. Let's run through some of the show credits real quick. This episode featured songs from Kanye West, Heartless, Talib Kweli, Too Late, The Big Bang Theory theme song, as well as audio segments from The Jimmy Kimmel Show, The MTV, VMAs, Alex Dang's poem, What Kind of Asian Are You?, Chris Rock's stand-up, Nancy Grace Show, and this intro and outro song you're listening to is, of course, Chris Leamy Summertime. The EP is called The Start. You can purchase it on iTunes right now. These episodes just keep getting better and better. Until next time, this has been the Idea Lemon Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. We'll see ya. Girl, don't you lose the chance to ever make your life enhance.